Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to this week's NACTA's uh, virtual programming series lineup. I'm Bob Vecchioni, NACTA CEO, and I hope you and your staffs are continuing to stay safe along with your families uh, during this pandemic. Um, as we mentioned last week, uh, NACTA is proud to offer this as a segment of our uh, convention, um, Senior Administrators Mentoring Institute. Uh, those of you who were with us uh, last week, we talked about things that, uh, that you could do from a interviewing perspective to get ready to hopefully sit in the chair. And today we have three experts with us who are going to talk to you about that very important first 100 days. It's kind of in every athletics director's repertoire when you take over a position that you really concentrate on what you're going to be doing for those first 100 days. Uh, today's panelists, panelists are poised to provide you with their experience at three, uh, three different institutions. Our panelists today are Whit Babcock, Director of Athletics at Virginia Tech, Brent Jones, Director of Athletics at Troy University, and Kim Pate, uh, Vice President for Athletics at Lenore Ryan University. Each of our panelists will introduce themselves to provide you a little bit of background before we dive into the discussion. And thanks again for being with us. Before we begin, I wanna remind you that at the end of the session, we're gonna have some time, probably 15 minutes or so, for some questions. So please use the Q&A Zoom feature at the bottom of the screen, and you'll be able to just submit your questions there um, to the group. Further, I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's session, Dynamic Pricing Partners, for their involvement with NACTA. Partnering with over 75 sports and entertainment properties, Dynamic Pricing Partners are experts in pricing, predicting pace of sale, and distributing inventory across multiple channels. Their experience, technology, and data ensures their partners exceed their goals and maintain brand integrity across all of their platforms. To learn more about Dynamic Pricing Partners, please visit their website at dynamicpricingpartners.com. Panelists, thank you again for being with us today. And Brent, I'll let you start. Thank you again. All right, thank you, Bob. Uh, again, for everybody, my name is Brent Jones. I'm the Director of Athletics here at Troy University. Very excited. I am a participant as well as I will act as the moderator for this. I'll give a brief uh, overview of my career. I was a college baseball player playing Division One, Two, II, and Three in descending order as part of that, and then started uh, my ascent in college athletics as I worked two years at the University of Mississippi Ole Miss, uh, received my master's there, and then spent five great years at Georgia Southern, all working in sponsorships, marketing, uh, communications, external operations, then had the fortunate chance to be named the associate AD at Southern Miss, where I spent six years there. Uh, and then uh, three and a half years ago, came to Troy University first for two and a half years as the Deputy AD of External Operations, and then just celebrated my one-year anniversary last Friday uh, as the Director of Athletics as that part. So very excited to be on here. Again, I'll be the moderator as well as a participant. And with that, Kim, would like to introduce you and hear your background. Thanks, Brandon. Congratulations on your anniversary. That's a big deal. Thank you. We always remember those those dates, right, of our anniversaries. Um, and so I'm I'm thrilled to be here with everybody and, and just you know share my journey, you know, through college athletic administration. 
I'm, uh, I'm finishing up. I just finished up my 12th year as an athletic director. I have had the privilege to serve at three different Division II institutions. Um, I actually started out coaching softball. I was a student athlete, uh, played softball, but um, I, I, I had the privilege to step into the AD's role really young. Like I was 32. I think that's young. And um, it was my alma mater. So, so I started there. I was in the AD seat for about four years. And then I ventured out Midwest. Found myself uh, called to uh, Illinois. So I ended up at the University of Illinois Springfield. Served five years as the athletic director there. And, uh, and then four years ago, I, I took uh, the step here back to the Southeast um, here at Lenore Ryan University. Um, so excited to be a part of this conversation. Miss um, Witt, you are the next one up. Yeah, thanks. My name is Witt Babcock. I work at Virginia Tech. The first NACTA conference I went to is in 1996. Uh, at that time, I was working at James Madison. I came up through the external side of things and also worked at Auburn and West Virginia and Missouri and Cincinnati and now Virginia Tech. And I've been an AD at Cincinnati and Virginia Tech for, for nearly a decade. I do not believe the AD job is the be all end all. Um, if you have the drive to do it and feel led to do it, great, but there's nothing wrong with number two, three, four hitters uh, as well. So hopefully this first 100 days can, can help no matter what your role is and, and think, help you think more strategically. But honored to be a part of it, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's jump in. So, so between the three of us, I see that we have 23 years experience, and I'm glad that I'm really uh, making this number move up with my one-year experience. So I'll be taking some great notes with that as well. But Kim, let, let's start with you, okay? Multi-stop AD, um, before the 100 days, talk a little bit about your transition to Lenore Ryan, the timeline, uh, and then what went into that? How fast were you able to get boots on the ground? Yeah, you know, um, it was different than, than obviously the last, the previous two stops. Um, I was hired in March and they wanted me to start June 1st. And I thought, that's a long time, you know, um, no problem. I can manage this. So I went to, you know, my chancellor at Illinois Springfield and said, hey, um, have this great opportunity. And she was relieved that she would have me for more time. So I thought, well, no problem. You know, everybody's happy. Um, and all of a sudden I found myself doing two jobs for like, you know, series of 60 days or so. And I eventually navigated, um, you know, to cut that down to an earlier start, early May, but um, um, that's a long stretch. And I'm sure others have been through that. Uh, you know, I didn't realize what I was signing up for because you want to leave things in good shape um, and you want to tie up any loose ends, but it's really hard to live in two worlds. And so that was a challenge for me. And, and through that, I actually had to hire three, three coaches, three head coaches during that interim time, you know, so I was working around the clock. I, that in essence could have been my my first hundred you know days, but uh, um, for purposes of our conversation today, I'm going to focus on when I actually got here. Got you, great, thank you. Wit, talk about uh, your transition. Let's go from Cincinnati uh, to obviously uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah, I, I I don't remember the exact timeline. I want to say it was around a month. Um, so you know it, it it becomes public, and then. In a week or so, you, you have a press conference and then a, maybe a two-week, three-week uh, transition period. And I, I just feel like, you know, you leave it very well where you are, but then once you make that commitment, you need to get there pretty quickly. Um, what I enjoy, too, well, let me back up a bit. You know, at first, you get 
text and it's great. It's kind of a celebration. And then it's, okay, let me refocus on what's really important. That stuff can wait. I've got to nail this press conference. I want to do that right. I want to take care of my family. You also have this honeymoon period. And I would say this, you only get one of those, so, so enjoy it. But what I found that worked very well in between that announcement period, the press conference and getting on canvases, um, I called all of our head coaches. I asked for a top 50 list of donors, um, our executive staff, uh, deans on campus, things and touch points that you can make. And, and word spreads pretty quickly that, hey, even before they got here, they did that, right? It's the right thing to do, but it also gives you a few early victories. And then as far as the transition, um, family-wise or with significant others, there's a lot of ways to do it. What The way that seemed to have worked best for me is to go ahead of my family. You're pretty much, you know, 12 to 16 hour days every day and working all the time. And then uh, you have to have a good support system and significant other and, and try to make that transition. But yeah, you're bouncing back and forth. It's a whirlwind, but you only get a one chance to make a first impression. You got to be sharp and be on point. Absolutely. And I'll add just from my experiences going from the number two to, to the, uh, the big chair per se is, is I had to quickly uh, fill out my roster and my staff um, before even the 100 days plan was in place, which was a little bit unique because I needed to figure out who was going to replace me. And then that was an internal hire, a person by the name of Kyle George who had been with me. Uh, for uh, for almost 10 years at that point. And then because of that move, then I had to hire an another position to, to backfill him as well before that even started. So staff is, is always on your mind. All right, Kim, talk a little bit about, um, you know, your 100 days. What, what, was, what was the plan that you put in place uh, that you wanted originally, you know, really starting from the day that you were on campus? Uh, what did you want to, uh, to get accomplished those first 100 days? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think I focused in three areas. You know, the first was just, uh, you know, assessing. I wanted to understand, um, you know, the intricacies of the athletic department, the climate, the culture on campus. You know, I, I wanted to know everything I possibly could about the athletic department, the university, so that I would be able to develop, you know, a, a comprehensive strategic plan to move it forward. And so it's, um, I, you know, the analogy I would use, it's like a puzzle, you know, and when you look at if you're coming from the outside, you, you, you know, you've got the outside corners and the sides all framed up and you think you understand it. Um, but there's a lot on the inside that until you get in, into the job and into the role and, and into the community, you, you know, you really don't understand it. So I was really focused on listening to understand the culture, learning, asking questions, um, and engaging key stakeholders. And so um, you mentioned putting your, you know, kind of putting your roster together. That would be the second part of my plan was just building my team. Um, you know, while I'm listening and engaging, I'm also, in essence, you know, building my team and, and trying to make sure that I'm fostering like, you know, relationships with, you know, my staff in really just sort of connecting with people across campus that are going to be really important partners for me. And so, and then of course it goes external to the alumni and corporate um, and folks in the community, but um, you know, I think I think building my team is is the second piece. And then third was just addressing immediate needs. You know, inevitably there's going to be some things that come up that you don't expect. Uh, um, I'm, you know, I've been at three different stops, and everywhere I've been, there's something I didn't they didn't tell you about on the interview, or you just you know you didn't pay attention to. So, um, you know, having to address some of those immediate needs, I had to navigate an NCA infraction case that was um, you know moving towards summary disposition. 
I certainly knew about that when I interviewed, but, but it was something I had to take on. Like I couldn't just focus on building relationships and putting my team together. I had to, I had to handle that, you know, just to, you know, just to can't ignore those kinds of things. And then also just looking for early wins, you know, opportunity for us in the short term to be able to gain some momentum and, and to gain some traction. And so looking for, listening to our coaches on what would make the biggest difference in the next 90 days. And so we, you know, we renovated our lobby and, you know, added a strength coach and we fixed a few things that, you know, would really give the coaches um, a sense of um, confidence that we're moving forward. Those are great. Uh, Wit, talk about your first hundred days, either at Cincinnati or at uh, Virginia Tech and what you hope to accomplish. Sure, and, and Kim covered a, a lot of it. Really, you know, you're, you're evaluating, you're watching and listening. One, one thing to learn is it's a lonely job. You really need to keep it to yourself. Whatever you say will get repeated, right? It's like the new guy or girl at school and it's the latest news and you go from maybe being a number two, three or four and um, so, so that part becomes pretty lonely and just know that everything gets repeated. But I would say one um, structure or uh, process that we went through at Cincinnati and Virginia Tech, which was invaluable, uh, had that first meeting with the entire staff, said I'll be back in a couple weeks. And um, they had a homework assignment that they would turn in. And I met with every staff member um, in the department in their office or cubicle, wherever they are, I went to them and they had to complete this one page assignment on the front. It was a SWOT analysis, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats as they saw it for the athletic department. On the back, it had something called start, continue, stop. What would you like to see the athletic department start doing, continue doing, or stop doing? And then I had a couple questions about who are the people in the department with the most positive energy, because I wanted to find out who they were. And then I asked a question about um, uh, who are the, you know, when you have something really important going on, who do you go to for advice? Because I wanted to find out who the formal and informal leaders were. Now that process was great. It was exhausting. Yes. But to show people that you care and, and go out there and do it, um, it really gives you a broad department it shows that you care about the employees that you're in it with them and uh, that was the best but it was exhausting and after you get through half of them you have a pretty good feel for it but you can't lose steam and if you don't get to somebody for six months how does that make them feel so it has to be tight and done in the first couple of months but that was the best exercise that that I felt like I could share with y'all. I would echo that um, being the internal uh, candidate and obviously there was a full national search so uh, there were six different candidates I was one of them and then there was pared down to two people I wanted to make sure that people really saw me as the AD and not the deputy AD anymore in that role and so I really had to to be very strategic and some of the things was is and it really as going through the process going through the actual um interview process, you really define your first hundred days per se, as you're learning more about it. Obviously I knew this institution, Troy University extremely well, but it was about keeping the momentum, uh, keeping the trajectory and then the continuity. Um, but I did something very similar that Witt did and it was absolutely 100% exhausting. Uh, you have three different resource groups here between myself as well as Kim and Witt. Uh, and so, but I met with every single one of our staff members. I was able to do that uh, as part of it. And then I met with every one of our head coaches within the first two weeks. 
and so my door was closed a lot. It was, it was phenomenal. I was able to ask them questions um, that I really hadn't before because I oversaw external operations. Now it's the buck stops with me literally everywhere. So I was able to ask a, a lot of those kind of conversations. But one thing that came up with this is my door was always closed. And so I realized that after about the third week, everyone said, is Brent ever going to come out of his office? And so even though I met with every single department head, every single member, as well as every single head coach, and it was exhausting. I gained a lot of information, but my door was closed the entire time. And so just sort of going through that, you, you want to be open to your, your people as much. Um, one thing, all right, we've talked about this. How do you find, and I'm going to go throw to this to you, Kim, how are you able to define the key stakeholders um, that you really wanted to engage with your first hundred days? Yeah, you know, I, um, I think some of them, you know, are obvious for us, right? We know all the key people that we interface with in athletics, you know, and, you know, obviously head coaches met with all of them, you know, all the internal staff. But, but I think um, ask, every campus is different. Having, you know, served on three different campuses, the roles and the politics and the dynamics, the people dynamics and the roles they play in athletics is different. And so, you know, I'll share that when I was at Springfield, um, that the list of people that I identified was very different than when I got here. It was a little shorter list here. Um, and of course, you know, that's a public institution, a lot more layers and, and perhaps, um, you know, the org charts a lot bigger. So it had me going a little deeper and wider. Um, also, when I stepped in, I think there was a need to build some trust between athletics and the, the broader campus. So I asked my, my, my um, vice president for, for student life, who I reported to, who he thought I should meet with. And on my first day, he gave me a list. I swear it was two pages long. And, you know, I already have my list, but I thought, okay, there's some, you know, there's some similarities here. But, um, you know, he gave me his list. You know, and the same thing happened when I got to Lenore Ryan. I asked the president. Who I needed to meet with. He gave me a short list. And, um, and then I asked the vice president, you know, just down the hallway as well, who was in development, you know, from an external standpoint. And so that's kind of where I started. And I think as you're meeting with people, you just listen and you hear names and you realize that person may be able to help help be a part of your team and is going to be a key person. Um, that's, that's how I approached it. That's great. Obviously, Whit, you talked about that you asked your coaches to give you some names. How did you also identify some, some other key stakeholders uh, that you needed to engage with early on? Yeah, it's, it's an important part of the job, as, as you well know. And again, Kim nailed it. Um, to, to add to that, um, yeah, knowing who to ask and, and, and who are the key people that, that have the juice, right? If there's somebody that you miss, and you don't get to them till two months later, sometimes that can come back to bite you. So the people of influence and uh, affluence, I believe would, would be critical there. Um, I would also try to remind people uh, that the search committee themselves, right? It may quote, just be a professor, this, that, or the other, but those people have their name on you, so to speak. And they're gonna be people since they hired you that want you to be successful so I still believe on leaning on them, keeping in touch with them um, is a good idea too. But uh, Kim nailed it. There's not much more I can add to that. What, what, what would you add to it, Brent? Well, the one thing is, so I oversaw external, but I was not heavily involved in development. And, and that's one thing that I needed to get my arms around very quickly. Uh, and that was probably a lot easier than I thought it would be because uh, while I was never making ask or anything else, I was always around them as part of it. But the biggest thing for me 
even being an internal candidate. So all of our fans knew me uh, either through social media or events uh, or games or, or matches, whatever that may be. It was finding out who the key stakeholders were on campus and how did I align myself with them and how do I make myself uh, valuable for them? And that's one thing that, uh, that took some time. Here's the great thing. And we never have talked about this and this is sort of going off script here, but uh, the previous AD, Jeremy McLean, uh, brought me over here as his deputy AD. We worked together for six years. And so he's one of my best friends. He's one of my mentors. I, I, uh, I, I literally value his opinion on everything. And so I was able to, going through the process, I was able to pick his brain as part of that. And so let me throw that back to you, Kim, first is, did you, did you reach out to anybody, the, the previous AD or anybody in the conference to gain some knowledge about that? And then I'll throw that to you too as well, Whit. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Brent. You know, I actually got a call from um, the vice president for development about just put my name in the hat. It was actually the president who'd hired me at my first job and he was here. And so I was able to pick his brain about, you know, just, you know, the whole university and, you know, you know, just, just to get a good feel and pulse for things. Um, and then I also reached out to an athletic director that followed me at my last institution because we were in the same conference um, at the time. And so I asked him his thoughts, you know, on, you know, how he perceived, you know, this opportunity and, and funding and resources and culture and such. So that's, that's absolutely part of our research. And, and I think that's critical when you're looking at a job. Yes, you. Whit, either from Cincinnati or from uh, Virginia Tech, um, did you reach out to the predecessor there at all? Yeah, I, I believe uh, etiquette wise, it's absolutely the, the right thing to do. Again, it's another early call you need to make if the previous AD, um, you know, is, is still in town or, or has connections. And he says, you know, I haven't even heard from Brent. It's been three months. So etiquette wise, um, and then etiquette wise, never criticize anything they, they did, right? Neutral to positive. I even asked on the SWAT form, what was something that Jim Weaver, what were some things that he did great so I can make sure that I continue doing those Wow. It's just about paying respect that way. As far as gathering other information, as both of you know, and many on this call, you will get no shortage of feedback from people. It's just sorting through it, listening, nodding, not, not showing your cards. Um, and before long, themes will start to uh, emerge. But there are people that can give you the real insight, the commissioners, uh, other people. And, and, and that's part of your skill set, right? You have to find out uh, where the influence is and, and all that. But the etiquette with previous AD, I believe, is is very important. That's great. Um, let's talk about this. So we talked about the 100 days plan, what you hope to glean. We'll go into that a little bit more. But talk about balancing the internal uh, constituency with the external. And, you know, there is a fine line there between your, your wanting. And we're going to talk a little bit later about staff and coaches and how we evaluated them. But talk about setting up. Uh, was there a split 50-50, Kim, or how did you want to go about ensuring that, that you were hitting the touch points and the people you wanted internally, but also externally? Yeah, and, and honestly, it's, it was a tough, it's a tough balance. Um, I, I would say that I think that, um, you know, my first priority was, was certainly our coach, my coaches and the, and the staff, um, voice of the student athlete advisory committee. Like, I really felt like I needed to, in many ways, re-recruit them. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, one of my AD colleagues talks about, you need to re-recruit your coaches every day. And that's stuck with me. So my, my first sort of priority is, is internal with coaches. And then it sort of branches out to campus and still kind of internal in the, 
under the campus umbrella. Um, but I would say it was probably more 70-30 split. Um, I, I listened for the key alumni and external people, and I made sure I got to those people. Um, you know, but but certainly, you know, I had to prioritize on my, you know, my my team, so to speak. Right. All right. Wait, talk about that internal, external constituency and, and how you sort of balance that or what you wanted from it. You know, th that's a great question, Brenda. I hadn't really thought of it consciously of what's the split, what's to do it. Again, art and science on that. And this was not you, very scientific, of course, but I just used three different notebooks. One was, this is what I need to focus on right now this week. The next one is, hey, this is coming up in a month. And then the other things were, I just don't want to forget about these things, right? And uh, Kim talked about early victories. Don't come in and want to change the logo or change the school colors. And, you know, let's not be ridiculous about it, right? There's going to be some harder hills to climb that you'll see. And then that priority of, all right, do I need to attack that now or later? But internal, external, great question. I don't have the answer to it. It was more just of a feel and prioritization that it has to go both ways. And I really liked your story about the shut door, right? And it's internal, it's, it's external, um, but it is an art rather than a science. Uh, and you have to be good at both. If you get out of whack one way or the other, um, it's gonna hurt you. Well, absolutely. And let me tell you what I did is obviously I talked about that I met with all of our coaches and staff within those first two weeks, which went, as you effectively said, it was exhausting. It was daunting. And then I spent from about six o'clock until about nine or 10 every night trying to speak to our donors, call them uh, that were out of town. Obviously, Troy, for people who don't know, Troy is the third smallest town in FBS. So a lot of our donors and uh, alums live, whether that be uh, 45 minutes away, an hour, Dothan, Montgomery, Atlanta, Birmingham. So they weren't able to come to the press conference. And I was really needing able to, to be uh, as part of that uh, and, and see them, but still trying to, to get as many donors as possible. One of the things that I did the first two weeks is when I met with our staff, especially when I met with our coaches, it was a listening time that I met with the staff. But for the coaches, I wanted to let them know what I stood for as the athletic director. Because when you're a deputy AD, you take on, we've all been there. We've been the number two, the number three. You take whatever your boss says and you run with it. And so Jeremy McClain was a phenomenal AD, great friend of mine. Uh, we helped hire two uh, coaches, our football coach, as well as our men's basketball, which I'll get into and how that, how that sort of helps you. But, uh, you know, I needed to shed the deputy AD role and come into it. And so I wanted them to know what we were going to stand for, integrity, honor, uh, and, and some of those pieces to really, like what you talked about, Kim, almost try to re-recruit the head coaches to see me in a different light uh, as part of that. Um, all right. Here's the big thing before we go into any more else. Kim, were you able to accomplish everything that you wanted to in your first 100 days plan? And if not, what didn't you accomplish? Yeah. I mean, in full transparency, absolutely not. You know, um, as hard as I tried, I, there were always things. It's like drinking water out of a fire hose, right? It's, um, it's intense. And so, um, you know, I would say that um, it, third stop, like I, it was amazing how much better I got at that first hundred days. And, and I think for me, um, I think I understood the, the end goal a lot better this go around. Um, not to not answer your question, but I think that um, I, the end goal for me was, as you said, like setting the culture and the expectations and, and 
and really people understanding what I'm about, you know, that's part of that, that engaging, you know, with coaches and people across campus and alumni is to listen, but also to reaffirm some stuff. But I think I, you know, I didn't get to certain people on my list that maybe were, you know, three or four months out, um, but, but we, you know, we got there. So, but more importantly, I think I understood what, what was really important in the first hundred days is to, you know, understand that the, the picture and the culture and the climate and, and those themes starting to emerge of things that we needed to, to embark on from a strategic planning standpoint, and then to sort of cement the culture piece. That's great. Whit, were you able to get everything you wanted to uh, accomplished at uh, Virginia Tech in your first 100 days? If not, uh, what did you hope to get that you weren't really able to get to, but you maybe tackled a little bit later? Yeah, for, for the most part, um, yes, I feel like we did. But as athletic directors or executives, we all know you never quite get everything perfect. So sure, there were some things still left hanging, I'm sure. And I don't, I, I know we use the term 100 days, right? Some places it's 90, some it's 120. Um, don't come in, my advice would be don't come in with too much of a set 100 day plan. A very good idea, but every place is different. Um, something else that I learned when I first became an AD, you're, you're in charge, you wanna show people you know what you're doing, you wanna justify your existence in hiring. So I found that almost every meeting that was coming to me, I was making decisions like that. And really, again, you only get one honeymoon even if it's only a hundred, it doesn't mean you don't make any decisions at all, but it's okay to say, I don't know, or I'm evaluating that and uh, we're still looking at that. So it's a really valuable 100 days. I, I wouldn't come in again with a, a predetermined strategic plan, things such as that. You need to learn the place and let the game come to you. Um, exhilarating, nerve wracking, but also the most exciting part are those approximately first 100 days. That's a great point. We, we all worked our, our career to get to this chair. And the first thing that you want to do is you many times you want to put your stamp on things, but if you can hold off and, and gain as much information as possible uh, and really receive buy-in on that. Uh, and as part of it, being that servant leader, that that's a great approach. All right. So this question, I cannot, an I cannot uh, answer at all. This is going to go for the multi-stop ADs. What would you do differently uh, that you did your first time, Obviously, in your case, Whit, for your first time to your second time, and then Kim going through your process of three now, what would you? What was it different from the first time to this last time? Yeah, for me, it was really my focus. I, I think um, I it, early on, you know, my first stop or even in my second, you know, AD stop, I was I was really too focused on the what and the how, you know, in, in listening, I was listening for the wrong thing, how how we did things and what we did things and what was missing. And, and I had evolved probably more from a managerial mindset to a leadership mindset and realizing that that's really what's important. So it was more about the why and the, you know, those core values and the culture and really focusing on the people side of things. And so I think for me, um, you know, just to sort of real recognizing that that first hundred days is really about positioning your program, getting everybody, you know, rowing the boat together and on the same page and, and gearing up to be able to chart a course instead of just how we operate and how we can get better. Gotcha. Whit, from, uh, from Cincinnati, your first hundred days to, to Virginia Tech, what did you do differently? 
Yeah, I've been here six and a half years and I'm getting older, so I don't, I don't know that I remember at all. But I would, I do know this, the second time is easier than the first time. I mean, whether it's a first-time head coach, second-time head coach, you just, you, you, you learn and grow from it. Uh, I guess a couple points, though, to point out what I would do differently now with this, with Zoom, you talk about your calls at night, one-on-one, we could do mm-hmm. a private group with 20 and you could accomplish a lot more uh, the technology I would do differently. Um, and then I believe as you do it more often that you get a little better understanding of staffing, meaning when I first got to Cincinnati, I thought, well, I can just do it with all these people and we'll be okay. And everybody should had a clean slate and did. But in reality, there are going to be some people that fit with your culture and some that don't. And what I've found is people can fool you for a while, but after about a hundred days, you, you tend to figure it out. So you don't need to come in necessarily heavily heavy handed, but I was a little more quick to realize that here are the areas that I want to be a little bit better at Virginia Tech and felt the need to bring in some other people. So um, it's not heartless, but at the same time, you're getting paid to, to be a leader and that's, that's some of the decisions you have to make. Well, that's great. That, that's gonna transition. Um we're going to talk about culture and, and staff and coaches a little bit later, but just, just stick on these two things. How during that hundred days period, because it is tough to trick somebody for a hundred days, eventually uh, your work ethic, your personality, your character, integrity will show through. How did you Kim uh, determine over that period of time, any kind of metrics or anything else, the strengths of the department and then the weaknesses? Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think, um, I think certainly um, I was looking for like listening and asking questions. Everybody I met with, um, starting with my interview, I asked every single group, you know, what they, you know, what they wanted to see, like what was their vision for the future. And so I started gleaning that through that process. Um, And then when I got on campus, you know, really was an informal sort of SWOT analysis just by, you know, asking questions. I also took my leadership team, um, through a SWOT analysis in a, you know, just in a formal retreat mm-hmm. um, within the first hundred days. And so, um, you know, from there, I think it started to emerge with some themes. And then, um, you know, looking forward a little bit, I, I knew from my perspective what I felt like, you know, the directions we needed to go. And I actually brought in a consultant to help, you know, to get an external sort of perspective. I hired Tim Selgo, um, former NACTA president. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think great mentor, certainly. Um, and, and I wanted to, he's, you know, he's seen everything in division two from high level to small privates like us. So I, and it was great for me to get his perspective. So I brought him and, and we, you know, I gave him my assessment and he gave me his, and it was just awesome to get somebody else's perspective. There's a lot of certainly um, things that we saw together, but, but, you know, I, what, you know, I think for me, that was important. And um, I was, you know, this was here at Lenore Ryan starting my eighth or ninth year as an AD. And I think sometimes we have to be humble enough to ask for other people's perspectives and realize that we don't see everything. And that was a great growing experience for me. And I think we got a lot done because of that. That's great. Whit, uh, how did you determine the strength of your uh, department and, and some of the weaknesses were? Yeah, primarily through that, those one-on-one meetings with staff and specifically asking them and um, that again, that was a, a, a excellent exercise, um, and everybody gets a chance and a voice, and it doesn't take you long to to figure it out. 
Okay. All right. So we're going to go into culture, um, which is, which is the buzzword these days. We want to change the culture. We want to keep the, for me, it was, we want to keep the culture. We want to keep the momentum going, but y'all coming in from the outside, Kim, as well as Wit, obviously you knew about both institutions during the interview process, which in my opinion is so critical. Really your first hundred days almost starts in that interview process and then goes up really during that interview uh, when you get it. But um, how did you determine, how did you evaluate the culture of the department, Kim, uh, during your first hundred days? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the same process I think is just listening to coaches, uh, my leadership team, I asked them point blank, you know, what do you love about the culture? What do you not want to change? What's really special about this place? And noted that, and we actually defined it in a culture um, document about what, what, you know, what we aspire to be about. And, you know, and so we had about seven themes or so. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of where it started and evolved. And I had two head coaches on my leadership um, team. So I was, I was able to get the coach's perspective as well. Great. All right. Uh, Wit, you talked a little bit about culture before, but, but how did you evaluate and understand the culture uh, either at Cincinnati or Virginia Tech? Yeah, I, I keep going back to this, I guess, um, art more than science, you know, uh, self-awareness and situational awareness. I, I learned um, in a way not to say change the culture. We're going to evolve it polish it, whatever you want to say, because the school that you're at it was there long before you got there and will be there long after you're gone. And, and that word change, 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 improve the culture, refine the culture, et cetera. So it may just be some wordsmithing, but I thought that was really helpful. Um, also, I did not come in and say, this is our culture. I did try and tell people what I stood for and what I believed in, but we actually had the exercise brand identity we have an executive staff and a senior staff, which is bigger, but our senior staff was involved in it. And um, really it, it was good to be from the bottom up, not the top down. And then what we focus on uh, now or have some at Virginia Tech is, is changing from a challenger brand to a champion brand, right? That's, it's easy to chase uphill, um, but it's harder to get up there and stay up there. And, and, and we thrive on you know, we do more with less, but we need to get comfortable in that other role as a champion as well. But uh, the culture will reflect the leader. If you have chinks in your character and other things, it, it'll come out. But uh, that culture is an elusive word and probably the most important one uh, that we all manage it. And you can make it great and then screw it up pretty quickly as well. So good luck with it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this, uh, you know, before we talk about how you evaluated the staff and coaches, um, it just dawned on me, we all three leaned on somebody or people during this process. Uh, and, and I had the fortune, the good fortune of being able to be here for two and a half years and really was able to, to know the institution uh, and then also the connection that I made. And then obviously with the previous AD, being able to pick his brain at any time and then really having a good senior staff uh, with our deputy AD as well as our executive associate that I worked hand in hand with. Uh, Kim, you coming from the outside in, who did you really lean on inside the department during this time period? Yeah, you know, um, honestly, you know, I think that it, it ended up being probably the, you know, less, uh, the person you wouldn't expect. Um, I had a senior associate uh, athletic director who had the title. Um, he, was, he was actually a head athletic trainer and 
he, you know, he was super passionate about, um, you know, the university and had been here a long time. He bled red and black, right? But he was so honest with me. Like he was the guy in the room that would tell me the truth. And so, and, and, you know, shoot, straight shooter, you know, um, and we forged trust right away. But I felt like, um, you know, he, he's the guy that's going to tell me, you know, what I don't want to hear. So, so that's, that's the person that I immediately, um, you know, forged, you know, a bond with and, and certainly trust. Got you. Whit, how about you? Who'd you lean on during that process? Certainly faith, right? That, that, that's a good one. Um, and then out of the other side of my mouth, I, early on, I didn't trust, well, trust isn't the right word. I, I didn't trust anybody to share wholeheartedly. I felt like that had to be earned. I did try to come in with coaches and other people and say, hey, you may not have chosen me, but I chose you and, and, and we're together on this now. Um, yeah, those are just a couple uh, thoughts, but another great question. What about you, Brent? All right, so the one thing that, that I was able to is obviously uh, the previous AD, lean on him. Um, and, and Jeremy uh, is the total opposite of me. Um, and so he he's very stoic as part of it. And so uh, I really learned a lot of things. And, and so I think if you're coming into this situation, and uh, I know everyone wants to be lifelong learners, you really have to figure out about yourself as you're going through it, especially the first time in the chair. And I know both of y'all have talked about it gets easier as you go on. But the one thing with that, that, uh, that I had to really make sure that I was doing correctly is your voice matters. You can't gossip anymore. You don't, you know, that that's the thing. You're just being present for some things carries a lot of influence. And I had to make sure that that was being the case because I moved across the hall. And, and two things is one, I wanted them to be able to see me as the AD. I was the one, I'm, I'm the one that's making the decisions, but also I wanted to make sure that they were part of the decision-making process. Uh, but I had to make sure that uh, I wasn't hanging out um, you know, at, at the coffee pot and, and getting into the gossip of about this or trends or this or that as part of it, because that's not what you, that's not what I should be about and what I should do as part of that. And so to be able to have that knowledge uh, in that base was really helpful to be able to, to sort of glean that. Also, from my time period at Southern Miss, uh, Bill McGillis was our, our director of athletics. He went on and left and went to San Diego. Jeremy McLean, uh, obviously got the job at Troy uh, University, and then Daniel Fag, who is at uh, USC Upstate. And so we had four ADs, uh, or including myself, so three that I could really uh, be able to, to call on and lean on uh, during that period of time. All right, Whit, I'm going to stay with you real quick. You talked about relationships with coaches and staff and and uh, obviously you have a big one uh, with Frank Beamer, who obviously was a legendary coach. You did not hire him. You inherited him as well as some other coaches. Talk about how that relationship went with you not hiring coaches, but getting them on board and then working well with them. Yeah, great. Another great question. Um, some of what I, I said when I met with those coaches, trying to put them at ease that, hey, I, I'm not – I'm great if every head coach we have is good enough to, to be here. And my first job is to support you and help you win, not try to replace you. So uh, I chose y'all. You didn't choose me. We're in it together. And you have to be careful not to, um, you know, create an old coaches versus new coaches standpoint. Um, 
but yeah, they're, they're understandably nervous. How do you put them at ease, say, do your job um, and, and, and get them uh, in line with that? So that, that, that's part of it. Um, what else could I add to that? Or did I miss a part of that, Brent? I'm sorry. No, it was just about how you develop that relationship, that working relationship, yeah. the coaches yeah. you did not hire. One-on-one -on -one visits with them. Uh, like you said, your presence matters. Uh, I try to go by practice. Um, and just being there and being seen. Now, what I learned from that is just stay a little while, long enough to be seen, know you're there. If you show up and you stay too long, they start to get a little nervous, you know? So that's uh, what I was going to say. That is a fine line between right. showing up and, and not. Right. And then if you have coaches that you've inherited that have done a good job and you give them a contract extension, they're yours uh, from then on. So uh, <laughs> it is just leading and, and giving them all an honest, fair chance to prove themselves. Um, but yeah, put them at ease and um, spend time face-to-face -face with them. Some are high maintenance and you need, they need you around a lot. Others just want to be checked on. And um, again, that goes back to that self-awareness, situational awareness, and uh, it's part of the fun of the job. No, I think that's correct. And, and Kim, talk about that as well. How did you get the coaches uh, to be on your side or not necessarily side, but work with them who you didn't hire? Yeah, you know, I, I like uh, when, you know, I think right out of the gate, you know, um, you know, that that I embrace them just like I would expect a coach to, you know, to, you know, give every kid on their roster that they, you know, take over at least a chance, you know, and so, you know, really investing time with them and, and allowing them to, you know, to, to share everything, you know, if they want to talk about their coaching philosophy, I'd get, you know, I'd get into that, um, really talking about what they feel like their, where their program is and what it needs and, um, and having some, you know, um, just good dialogue and honest dialogue, you know, some of them, you know, right out of the gate were asking me for full-time assistant coaches or, you know, I'm sure you probably have some similar stories and even being honest and saying, look, you know, um, no doubt looking at the rest of the league, you probably need one, but we're, we're not there yet. And I think having some honest dialogue right up front, um, you know, allows, you know, allows some, some, you know, trust to at least form. Absolutely. The one thing that, that I took away from this is uh, working with the coaches. So I was part of uh, the hiring process with our head football coach, as well as our men's basketball. So Troy University last year, from January 1 uh, to, uh, to June 12th, was the only school in America, Division One that, that we know of that had a new football coach, new men's basketball coach, and a new AD during that period of time. And so you forge a lot of relationships with it. But going back to the two of y'all's, which y'all, I didn't want it to be an old new. Everyone had a clean slate. I worked uh, heavily with our women's basketball coach. I was the sport administrator for baseball, but that didn't mean that I was choosing baseball over softball. And I was very apparent with that, that I needed to make sure that I spent enough time with some of their other coaches. But a few things that, that I, I've gleaned from y'all is one is, I, I told this to all of our student athletes, as well as our head coaches, my job as an AD, I worked 20 years to get to this chair. I thought I knew what an AD was, and I realized what it is. It's about being your biggest cheerleader. At the end of the day, I thought it's about making decisions, but if you're not in it for the student athletes, if you're not in it for the coaches, it's about being your biggest cheerleader and uh, really taking some things from y'all. You're not going to be successful very long if you don't have a high PI, political intelligence, if you don't have a high EI, emotional intelligence, and if you cannot read the room effectively. Uh, as part of it. I don't think that you'll, you'll last very long uh, as part of that. And so that's what I would say. The last question uh, that I have before we turn it over to this is uh, evaluating the staff. 
how did you evaluate the staff and realize the ones that you wanted uh, to keep, promote, or maybe weren't best suited for your culture, Kim? How did you define, how did you evaluate that? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, sitting down with them and, and figuring out, you know, just allowing them the opportunity to tell me where their program was, what their goals and aspirations were, what their needs were, and, and to be able to, you know, outline what their plan was to get there and where they've been and where they've come from. Um, checking to make sure we're a good fit philosophically, that they're about the student athlete experience and just really listening and asking questions. Um, unfortunately, I think depending on the timing, um, sometimes you have to go through at least a cycle to really figure out. You may have, like I had some suspicions early on of some coaches where I had some concerns. And then I saw it play out, you know, in the first season. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think uh, it's, it, for me, it's probably about a one-year process to really fully evaluate. Um, just, and we don't, we don't have the same contract type setup that, you know, maybe is at Division One and Division mm -hmm. Two. Um, you know, early on, I had, I had, like, I knew who the rock stars were, and I knew who those that were maybe a little concerning, and um, just diving into that and setting them, setting goals, letting them set goals, and then holding them accountable for it. Got you. Whit, how did you evaluate your staff? Um, I guess with, with coaches and our executive stuff, right, I, I tried not to pre-evaluate it. I, I, just like when a coach comes in and takes over a team, what is he or she going to say? Everybody's got a clean slate. I hope you'll be successful. Um, everything starts over and, uh, and, and let's go. But evaluating them, we, we talk about this. I'm, I'm still learning a lot about it. But two classes they really don't ever teach you is how to interview people and how to evaluate people. And I feel like we're getting better at it. I think it needs to be more than once a year. Um, I've gotten better at being more direct, not heartless, but I believe people ultimately want the truth and respect you for that. And just like me with my boss, just shoot me straight so I know where I stand. But that evaluation part and how you do it, um, that, that could be a whole session, that and, and interviewing. Um, but ultimately the cream rises to the top and, and you don't want them to be surprised, right? I tell them that if I'm not happy with what you're doing, it won't come as a surprise. And sometimes you have to say to coaches and staff, if we don't meet these goals this next year, we may be having a, a much harder conversation. I agree with that from my standpoint before I turn it over to, to Katie for any questions is, um, is really one thing that I wanted to make sure is, is that I was effectively communicating to the staff, uh, my needs, wants, expectations, as well as to the coaches. And so that, that's gone through with the pandemic that we're in, as well as from the COVID-19, as well as the social injustice, is really trying to make sure that we're having open lines of communication. And that's not the most comfortable things. If you hadn't sat in this chair before, that's not the most comfortable thing when, when you have, especially, uh, Kim, you talked about you were 32 years old, I was 38 years old, and you're speaking with someone who, who might be your senior of 20 or 30 years or been in the business longer, or might be a Hall of Fame coach or something like that to be able to say, hey, this is where we need to go. This is why uh, as part of it. But uh, I'll wrap that up now. And, and Katie, I'll turn it over to you for any questions that uh, our viewers might have. Great. Thanks, Brent. Well, thank you all for, for sharing your experiences. And before we jump into uh, questions that we've received, just a reminder for folks that are participating with us today, if you have any questions for our panelists, please feel free to submit those using the Q&A feature on your Zoom toolbar. So the first question, uh, a couple of folks asked a very similar question. 
Um, obviously, the first 100 days are going to look very different for ADs starting during COVID-19. What recommendations and advice might you have for new ADs who have to develop relationships virtually, along with having to manage an unprecedented event? I'll tell you, I think Wit hit it. You better get comfortable with technology. <laughs> that, that's, so we're, we've been back at the office since June 1st uh, fully, at least Troy University has, and yet I, I'm not holding any in-person meetings right now. It's all Zoom. So really effectively, I, I wish Zoom, which obviously was around, but I wish I had known about it. Instead of making that one-on-one -on -one calls, I could have had a, a really, really true conversation with donors and staff and, and fans alike. That's what I would say from my perspective. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add uh, to that one. Yeah, it's it's never before seen, right? You have to adjust the sales and um, and get in there. But uh, I, I guess one thing that coronavirus has taught us too is that we wasted a lot of time on things that weren't really, really, really important. But as far as AD in these times, getting hired in these times, um, uh, you're on your own. I got nothing for you on that. Yeah, I would just add it's what a what a great leadership opportunity to really, you know, um, you know, I think in crisis it, it creates an opportunity for us to, you know, um, you know, really serve our our the people that are under us, our coaches, our student athletes. And I just think I can't imagine being in that situation, but but I would say to find some perspective. Uh just step just step in and and you know, serve and love on your people and um, you know, I guess put your team together and, 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 you know, you're going to have to trust, I guess, to some extent that, that you've got good, some people who are capable and support them, you know, through the process of navigating that on your particular campus. But whew, that gave me like heartburn. <laughs> I would, I would tell you one thing that I've learned being an external person and dealing with development and marketing and sales communications, you better understand the budget inside and out uh, dealing with the pandemic that we're in. And so I've always been told uh, my old AD uh, at Georgia Southern, Sam Baker says, you better, if you, if you want to be an AD, you need to touch money. And what he meant by that is either you need to be the business person or you need to be a fundraiser, marketer, ticket sailor type of deal. Because at the end of the day, that's how you're going to be able to sort of move your uh, department forward. And I, th I think that's even more paramount with what we're dealing with. I think all three of us would say that we're looking at some type of um, budget issues, whether it's reduction or reallocation or something like that, that you really have to get your uh, understanding of quick. That was probably a different experience for me compared to the two of y'all. I had to get updated very quickly on that. Great. Well, you all mentioned um, through your comments about how much time you spent uh, building relationships in those first 100 days. Um, but obviously, you know, there are some demands outside the office too with transitioning both yourself and, and possibly a family into a new environment. Talk a little bit about the work-life balance during that rapid first 100 days. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, you know, I have, I have, at the time that I took this job, I had a five-year-old. And so, um, you know, really, I think, you know, it's a partnership. And I, I think I'm fortunate to have great support, you know, with my husband and all. But um, we, you know, we went at it as a partnership and we mapped out a plan together as far as me going for a week and coming back and all that. I think, I think just, um, 
you know, I think that it takes that. And I think obviously it takes that on a day to day being, you know, an athletic director, but um, just for me knowing that my, my, my daughter was in great hands, my husband had her taken care of and, and, you know, we would sync up and swing back around and make sure we're, we're good, you know, as a family, but that's hard, but it takes a partnership. Yeah, I, I, uh, great question. I, I don't really believe there's a work life balance. It's more like work life harmony, right? Cause 50, 50 is tough. Um, but how do you incorporate this job with a lifestyle if you have children, um, and can have them to games or, or other things, but it is hard on a family. We had three kids, all boys age four and under. And then our oldest, when we got to Virginia tech had lived in five States. I mean, it's, in some cases, it may not be worth it, right? It takes an incredible toll and strain. Um, but that transition period, at least on that part, for me, it's worked better because I'm going to be all in over there to separate for a little while, come back together. And then obviously, whoever's coming along with you, you come in, everybody knows you, you have work to keep you busy, instant friends, so to speak, and that trailing significant other family, pet, whatever, uh, it's a lot harder on them. So um, yeah, that, that's something that's not talked about enough. Uh, again, from, from my perspective, being an internal, uh, I was everybody's best friend. My wife was everybody's best friend. We knew him before, uh, but we took on a whole nother role where we were out front and, you know, how was I interacting? Was I going places, things like that. And so really making sure that my family knew because we didn't have to move. Uh, we didn't have to change schools, but sitting down uh, with my wife and our two kids, we have a six-year-old and a five-year-old. My son turns seven tomorrow. Uh, they were born in Hattiesburg. This is only the second place they've ever lived. This is, for the most part, this is, this is what they remember. And, but just to say, hey, uh, you know, we used to have great seats here, uh, but I'm, I'll never forget sitting them down saying, you're not going to be able to run uh, during football games and, and throw the ball. You're going to be in a suite. And they said, what's a suite? You know, and, and now I can't get them out of the suite, right? Like I want to get them out of the suite during basketball and baseball and football games. Now it's, it's the sweet life for them, you know? And so just really being open and honest with, with those kind of conversations of what's expected uh, for me as well as my wife and kids. Great. Well, we have time for one final question here before we wrap things up. Uh, you all spoke about implementing your vision and mission amongst the staff and having them on your side. What are some of the things that you did or tactics you used to get donors on board and get excited about the future of your department? I'll, I'll, I'll start first. I just, uh, I had that relationship, but I told them where we were going. I asked all of our coaches as well as staff to do a needs once report. So need is, this is a critical uh, need that we have to have to be successful. Uh, and want is something like we want a new stadium per se. And so I put it in those kind of categories. I got all that information, gleaned all that information from our staff as well as our our head coaches. And then I was able to take that information directly from our head coaches who at most places already have great relationships with your donors. And so that instantly said, Hey, we're already, he's already asking me questions about this. And I was able to take this directly because of that. We received a $25,000 gift uh, to finish out our weight room for dumbbells. I never would have known that we needed dumbbells unless I asked our coach uh, going back to what Kim and, and Witt said, as well as put it on a needs once report and was able to, to really say, this is what we want. This is how we can move this program forward uh, for our donors with your help. 
Yeah, real quick. Um, you know, I think I, I started by engaging like our my booster club, you know, board, and that's about 36 people. I called every one of them within the first two weeks of getting the job from Springfield, you know, Illinois, and listen to them. You know, what tell us, tell me your perspective. And and so it started there. And then, you know, I think probably around day 100 or so, um, it collaborated to have like a large dinner and, you know, to kick off our year. And, and at that point, I was able to message out, you know, just, you know, what the direction was and, and sort of start to shape the vision. Um, and, and then it grew from there. Every year I give an update and, you know, there are opportunities for, for me to get in front of audiences externally. And I make sure that I capitalize on that, that moment to be able to, um, you know, to, to sort of provide clarity on the direction. Yeah, as far as in, in engaging donors, um, I came up through development, so I'm not always sure I can explain it, but I, I do know this whenever I've raised money. You have to genuinely believe in what you're selling and that it will make a difference. And if you do, you're really not asking them for money, you're asking them to come along with you, right? And leadership is not about being divisive, it's about bringing people along with you. And um, if you get in there and you see something that's really gonna impact your student athletes or your wins and losses, um, and you really believe it, it's not that hard to sell it. And then uh, your, your, the donors can also be on campus, right? If we get campus to give us a million more dollars a year or 500,000 or 20,000, whatever the, your scale is, um, you know, that's like a $5 million gift over five years. So there's a lot of fundraising goes on. And anyways, it's a big part of the job. And thanks for letting me uh, finish up the show. I see the godfather Bob back on. So it must be time. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, Witt and Brent and Kim, a very good session. Uh, this will be uh, copied to our YouTube station. So if uh, any of you want to, you know, watch it again, you know, wait, you could send it out to all your donors to get autographs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but seriously, really good session, very important information. Uh, one of the one of the things that that really stuck with me that kind of I had a flashback when you said it, Kim, you had to go when you change chairs, you got to go from managerial to leadership. And that really that really resonated with me because it's just one of those things that just, you know, the light bulb went off from a us to take all the dust off it but uh really i appreciate your time appreciate your um you know your mentorship to all the young people out there uh, keep up the good work and please everyone uh stay safe and continue the NACTA daily review we'll have future webinars going on so please uh join us for some more sessions down the road thanks again everybody be safe